0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Nevada. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. 35-year-old Tiffany Booth was the kind of person that literally no one had anything bad to say about. The kind of genuine goodness that Tiffany was is the kind that can only come from your soul. She was always happy. She loved her family, she kept in touch with old friends on a regular basis, and was always looking for the next thing she could do to make someone else's day. She's the kind of friend that texts back right away, remembers your birthday, and buys your pet's presents on Christmas. Aside from being the friend we all wish we had, she was also a huge Seattle Seahawks fan, and like every single one of us listening, she was big into true crime. Never in a million years did she ever think she would become a victim. According to an old friend of hers that I spoke with, Tiffany grew up in a teeny tiny town in Oregon until she moved to Texas. She made a ton of lifelong friends while she was there, but in the fall of 2019, the LA Times reports that Tiffany moved to Las Vegas. When you think of Las Vegas, you probably think of neon lights, casinos, and nightlife, but that's not why Tiffany moved there. Tiffany packed up everything she owned to move in with her mom and help her with everyday life because she was struggling with MS. She didn't huff and puff, she didn't sigh, her mother needed help, and because Tiffany was Tiffany, she dropped everything to be there for her. It didn't take long for Tiffany to find a job, and when she did, she met a guy who worked there named Eduardo Clemente. I spoke to Tiffany's cousin Angelina about the case, and according to her, in May of 2020, Eduardo confided in Tiffany that the sister he was living with at the time had tried to kill him. That story probably sounds highly unlikely to most of us, but again, Tiffany was Tiffany, and she saw the good in everyone. She didn't hesitate for a second and offered to let Eduardo move into the condo with her and her mom. To be honest, the move seemed to go really well. Tiffany had her own room, Eduardo slept on the couch, and Tiffany's mom had a boyfriend and spent a lot of time over at his house, so the condo wasn't too crowded, and both Tiffany and her mom thought Eduardo was great. Her mom told the LA Times that she thought he was like a genius. His Facebook account says he's an InfoSec enthusiast and a digital nomad, so basically he was really into tech shit. Even though his Facebook indicated that he was into tech shit, it was pretty bare. There was just one single photo, and it was of him and Tiffany that had been uploaded on September 17th, 2020. That's around the time that he and Tiffany announced to the family that the two were dating. To be clear, though, they weren't dating when he moved in. It's something that progressed over time, and they dated for about a month before officially announcing it, though no one was surprised and everybody seemed to be pretty happy for them. That happiness, however, was short-lived. Just a couple of weeks later, on October 1st, 2020, the LA Times reports that Tiffany texted her mom to let her know that she and Eduardo were taking a day trip to Boulder City. She said that she'd be back the next day and even let her know that she'd left enough cat food and water for the cat. Boulder City is basically the definition of a place you'd take a day trip to. It was less than a half an hour drive from the condo and full of cute little retro buildings, historical stuff, and a solid view to look at. It's a fun place to go for a day or so before you've seen it all. The trip made sense and no one thought anything of it until neither Tiffany nor Eduardo showed up for work the next morning. Tiffany wasn't the type to be a no-call-no-show. She was the type of person that came in in a good mood every day or you're sitting there with your eighth cup of coffee wondering how in the hell anyone functions at that level. Something felt off, so Tiffany's mom used her phone to check the security camera that points to the carport where Tiffany usually parks her car, and her car definitely wasn't there. A little mother's intuition told her to check the days leading up to the trip, only to find that the security footage for the two days prior to this supposed trip had been deleted. Why would two days of footage be gone and the rest still be there? Before the 29th was still there and after the 30th was still there, just those two days were missing. Why and how? At that point, everyone started to scramble to try and figure out the last time anyone physically saw Tiffany or spoke to her outside of a text message. For her mom, the LA Times reports that it was on September 27th when Tiffany and Eduardo had come over to her boyfriend's house for dinner. Skip ahead two days to the 29th, and members of Web Sleuths found a post from Tiffany's Facebook account to her condo's housing group. It read, My boyfriend noticed someone on the roof of a nearby condo building. The guy dropped what looks like an electrical box, and it made a big boom. Anyone know if there's any construction going on on the roofs? All of us hearing about this now are wearing our suspicion hats. Why would she be posting a question about something her boyfriend saw and heard when he has a perfectly good Facebook account? And why would anyone be asking if construction is going on after seeing a guy with a toolbox on a roof? Kind of screams construction. I don't think people climb on roofs with toolboxes for fun. And is the question about the construction or was the post about the big boom that the toolbox made? The whole thing smelled and the security footage for that day was gone. To make matters worse, the girl who was always on social media, posting, sharing, messaging friends, and keeping up with her favorite true crime groups, had stopped posting. We know that Tiffany's phone texted her mom about the day trip on the 1st, but at this point, everyone started to wonder if it was really Tiffany who had sent the text. Tiffany's mom tried calling and texting her daughter and even tried getting a response on Facebook, but got nothing. So she reached out to some of Tiffany's friends, and it just so happens that Tiffany was sharing her location in a group chat. And according to them, on October 2nd at 7.49 p.m., Tiffany's phone did not say that she was in Boulder City. It said that she was in Idaho. Her phone stayed in Idaho until the morning of the 4th when her phone shut off. And as we all know, there is almost no greater red flag than when someone's phone turns off call me crazy, but I will straight up drive to your house and file a police report if your phone dies and I can't find you. And that's exactly what Tiffany's mom did. Initially, the family was really frustrated with law enforcement. Her cousin Angelina told me they didn't take it seriously. They didn't think she was missing. It was one of those, well, she's an adult. She can be missing if she wants type situations. But we knew that something was wrong. With the missing persons report filed, all her family could do was hit social media as hard as they could and wait. Missing persons flyers were made for both Tiffany and Eduardo, and for reference, Tiffany was 5'4 and maybe 110 pounds soaking wet, while Eduardo was 6'2 and somewhere between 285 to 385 pounds. No one was exactly sure about his weight because according to the Help Find Tiffany Booth Facebook page, He had been fasting in the recent months and lost around 100 pounds. And yes, that is bizarre. On October 5th, the LA Times reports that Tiffany's mother's boyfriend went to the condo that she and Eduardo had been living at to check on the cat. Remember, Tiffany had texted and said she left enough food and water for the cat to survive a day trip, but it had been four days. While he was at the condo, he noticed pretty quickly that the normal things you take with you if you were going out of town were still there, like Tiffany's toothbrush and deodorant. He also noticed that it didn't look like any of her clothes were missing. Being objective, those are things that can be easily purchased, so it was time to take a gander at her bank statements. Lo and behold, there was a charge the next day. It was at a McDonald's gas station combo in Idaho Falls, Idaho. That gas station was a nine-hour drive north of the condo, which is a hell of a difference from the 30-minute day trip that she texted her mom about. It took more than three days for there to be any updates in the investigation, but on October 8th, 2020, police found Tiffany's car. Her Honda CRV was found abandoned in Ellie, Nevada, and the license plates had been removed. There are three things to unpack here. First, why would her license plates be removed? Why would Tiffany, if she was in that vehicle, remove her own license plates? If we're playing devil's advocate, we could say that maybe she did it because she really wanted to disappear. But I think we all know that's not where this is going. Second, why would she abandon the car that she had just bought three months prior? She was proud of this car and even took a picture of herself in front of it at the dealership when she bought it. Lastly, why would whoever was in this car take it all the way up to Idaho just to drive it back down to Nevada And ditch it, and why Ellie of all places? Well, let's try to figure that out. We know that Tiffany's last purchase was at a McDonald's gas station hybrid in Idaho Falls. The address of the gas station to the general location of Ellie is a 410 mile drive, roughly six hours, and back in the direction of the condo. If we assume the car was filled up at that gas station, that would mean that it was running on 14 gallons of gas. The CRV gets 25 to 31 miles to the gallon, depending on whether you're driving in the city or on the highway, which would mean that Tiffany's car would run out of gas after being driven 350 to 434 miles. The trip from Idaho Falls to Ellie is mostly highways, so the miles per gallon would be closer to the 434 range. And wouldn't you know, the trip was 410 miles. In summary, it looks like whoever drove that car drove it until it ran out of gas and then had to come up with a plan. It's at this point that Tiffany's family says the police really started taking her disappearance seriously. The following day, they had canines out searching the area around her vehicle, and while they did find some torn clothing, it doesn't look like it was related to Tiffany. While canines were searching the car, detectives were processing the condo for any evidence of where Tiffany and Eduardo might be or what might have happened to them. The security footage from the carport and that gas station in Idaho were also being examined. With everything happening so fast, there was this nagging suspicion surrounding Eduardo, but the fact of the matter was that no one really knew anything. In the end, he was still missing, and Tiffany's family did their best to be objective and show some concern for him as well, but also mentioned something interesting. They said that the entire thing was sketchy, and at some point in the investigation, they realized that they didn't even know for sure who he really was. Remember how Eduardo's Facebook account was bare except for that single photo of Tiffany and him? Well, there's one almost exactly like it from 2014, but it's a photo of only Eduardo and the name on the account is Daniel Trent. Doing a little digging, there's also a LinkedIn account of a man named Daniel Trent out of Las Vegas, and the profile picture looks like a photo of Eduardo was put into an app that makes it look like a sketch. That account dates back to 2005. In between his nine-year stint as Daniel Trent online, there was a Facebook account that he used in 2011 to comment on a photo of him posted by his stepmother, but the account had been wiped and the only thing left was a name, Blank Boxes. I ran every background that I could on this guy, and he's a ghost. Whether it's Eduardo or Daniel, he wasn't showing up on anything. I even tried running relatives and seeing if he would pop up as one of their relatives, and he never did, not once. So I resorted to one last trick and I found him. Sort of. According to Texas birth records, Eduardo, which had been spelled with a U throughout this case, was born Eduardo with a W. Eduardo Daniel Clemente. So now we see where the Daniel came from, but the Trent is still some fairy tale pixie dust bullshit. With the correct spelling of his name, I looked anywhere I could and found a grand larceny charge out of Clark County in 2004 under the correct name. I also found a marriage record for him from 2005, but his marriage license was under the name Edward, which is fascinating since he'd have to give a birth certificate in order to get it. I know it's only a one-letter difference, but nonetheless, this is technically name number four. Three years after getting married, a rental car company filed in small claims court against him and once again used the correct spelling of his name. But while he was going by Edward in his marriage and Eduardo with a W in court, he was going by Daniel Trent on that LinkedIn account. I can only imagine the difficulty of trying to introduce yourself at a Christmas party in the middle of that ring-around-the-fuckery. Clearly, something was very off with Eduardo, but no one could understand why. Everyone who seemed to know him thought he was a good guy. Over the next few days, the investigation went hard behind the scenes, but everything was kept pretty close to the vest. But on October 19th, all of that changed. The body of a female was found in a desert area of Indian Springs, Nevada. She was unidentifiable, but the blanket she was wrapped in wasn't. According to Tiffany's cousin, it was the blanket that Eduardo slept with on the couch of the condo that he shared with Tiffany and her mom. They knew it was her, but they had to make sure. A dental comparison was made, and it was a match. The body in the blanket was Tiffany Booth, and she had died from blunt force injuries to the head. What was once a missing persons investigation was now a homicide investigation, and all eyes were on Eduardo. According to Tiffany's cousin, they hadn't stumbled across Tiffany's body by accident. Something in the condo had led the investigation there, and to this day, they still don't know exactly what that was. The mapping of Tiffany's murder is important to her case because it helps to narrow down when she could have been killed. We know that her car was ditched in Ellie, but Indian Springs is more than 270 miles south of that. The person who killed Tiffany would have had to have either walked or hitchhiked a ride all the way down there with Tiffany wrapped in a blanket or Tiffany had to have been killed before the trip north and the discarding of her body was just the first stop on that trip. That might explain why the security footage from the 29th and the 30th had been deleted and why not so much as deodorant or a toothbrush was missing from the condo, but Eduardo's blanket was. On top of all of that, it just so happens that Tiffany and Eduardo had gotten into an argument at 2 a.m. on the 30th. It was documented in text messages and an accidental butt dial. According to someone who came forward to family, Tiffany and Eduardo were arguing about a guy that Tiffany knew back in Texas. The two of them were both texting a mutual friend each side of their arguments when Eduardo's phone accidentally butt-dialed the mutual friend. This friend listened to the argument for 39 seconds and said that they were both yelling at each other. In the land of being politically correct, it's possible that Eduardo was simply missing along with Tiffany, who we now know had been murdered. But it's pretty hard to imagine that anyone else would have had access to the security footage from the carport while also being able to kidnap a man between 285 to 385 pounds. Like I said, it's hard for us to imagine that anyone else was involved in Tiffany's murder and the police were on the same page. According to the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Las Vegas Metro Police Department filed warrants for Eduardo's arrest for open murder, grand larceny of a motor vehicle, and a slew of credit card theft charges. Finding Eduardo became Mission 1A, and the dude was fucking Waldo. He was everywhere and nowhere, hiding in plain sight. According to Tiffany's cousin, someone came forward saying that after Tiffany's car was ditched, Eduardo hitchhiked back to a truck stop in Henderson, the same county the condo is in, coming full circle. A couple saw him sleeping on the ground and took him in, saying that he was tired and dehydrated and not dressed for the weather and had a wagon with him. They assumed that he'd just given the hitchhiking thing a go and that he was unprepared. They actually took a picture of him while he was there, and in the most eerie photo ever, he's looking directly at the camera and smiling. After getting some rest, another person gave him a ride to St. Rose Hospital in Henderson, and according to Tiffany's cousin, he had told the couple who took him in that his name was Daniel, and the person who drove him to the hospital that his name was Edward. The con was in full force, but why? Why was he circling closer and closer to the condo? The hospital was only 13 miles away, and everyone in town was looking for him. Well. According to Tiffany's cousin, Eduardo actually wound up breaking into the condo at some point to steal some of his personal belongings. She says that he broke the back window in the bedroom but couldn't fit, so he wound up breaking the sliding glass door to get in. Somehow, this dude has balls the size of Texas and is also dumber than a bag of biscuits. After breaking in, Waldo Eduardo went back to being Ghost Eduardo, and no one could find him. The self-proclaimed digital nomad had disappeared, so LVMPD held a press conference, and first things first, the FBI is now involved. The crime had crossed state lines, which gave them jurisdiction. Law enforcement asked for people to be on the lookout for Eduardo asking for those in remote areas, specifically the Ruby Mountains and back into Idaho, to pay special attention, that he might be trying to stay off the grid. An entire month went by, but there was no sign of Eduardo anywhere, and the temperatures were dropping. The bolo for Eduardo in the wilderness became a bolo for Eduardo anywhere. With lows in the 30s, there was no way he was still outside, and at this point he would have needed some help. Around this time, people following the case started to wonder if Eduardo might have taken his own life, and that's why no one could find him. But someone claiming to be a lifelong friend of his joined Webb to make one single comment. He said that he and Eduardo were best friends growing up and that Eduardo has a genuine side and a temperamental side that none of this surprises him. His theory was that Eduardo might have been doing something and Tiffany found out, and that Eduardo either acted out or that whatever happened was an accident or quick impulse. The friend said that he couldn't see this being premeditated, Eduardo purposely seeking to hurt someone, but said that he could see him doing this and that Edward wouldn't take his own life. The user who joined that website to make one single comment referred to Eduardo by two of his names interchangeably, Eduardo with a U and Edward. The user never responded to any questions about his comment.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. A few
0: more weeks went by, and Tiffany's family had to celebrate their first Christmas without her. Tiffany's world revolved around the people she loved, and every single relative she had will tell you that she was the glue that kept them together. Her cousin told the Las Vegas Review-Journal that Eduardo kind of stole the heart and soul of our family. To Tiffany's family, it was unspeakably painful that she was gone and that the suspect in her murder was still on the loose. And it didn't look like Eduardo had taken his own life because just a few days after Christmas, his uncle started getting his mail. Eduardo obviously wasn't staying with his uncle, but it felt like he was trying to play games. Like he wanted everyone to know he was alive and maybe throw off the search for him. With this new development, Tiffany's family posted that there were a lot of signs that Eduardo was in fact still alive and probably still hiding in plain sight in Henderson. In the last year, the FBI has tried to locate Eduardo or Edward or Daniel or whatever he's going by, but have come up empty. Not for lack of trying, though. Tiffany's family believes he's probably in Mexico now and absolutely still alive. They're in regular contact with the FBI, and throughout the work on this podcast, we're able to reach out to an agent on the case and get a response almost immediately, which is the kind of communication with law enforcement that everyone deserves. Eduardo is still missing, and Tiffany's family and everyone following this case is worried about the next family or the next woman who falls for his stories and takes him in. I want to end this episode with an emphasis on the fact that an incredible family lost an incredible woman and the pain of what was taken from them will never go away. Tiffany's aunt sent her cousin a text that said, Tell the podcast that I am her aunt, and Tiffany was just eight years younger than me. I babysat Tiffany, and she was sweet, funny, caring, and loving. To her, family was everything, and she enjoyed all visits. She would even reach out to bring family together when some hadn't seen each other in years. I miss her and her big smile and her laughter. He took that away from us. We need him found so she and her family can get the justice she deserves. If you know anything about the movements or whereabouts of Eduardo Clemente, Edward Clemente, or even his possible alias as Daniel Trent, please contact the Las Vegas Metro Police Department at 702-828-3111. Several photos of Eduardo will be posted to Tiffany's highlight and countless are available on the Help Find Justice for Tiffany Booth Facebook page. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Tiffany's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.